Welcome to the Pearl of Great Price podcast. It's the 1st of February. And on this day in Christian history, we go to 1516 and we travel to Holland. Today, the Dutch priest and scholar Desiderius Erasmus dedicated his amendment of St. Jerome's Latin translation of the Bible to Pope Leo X. This was one of the small stones that caused the avalanche that was to come. The enterprise of publishing biblical translations and amendments to previous translations was a politically sensitive issue in the 16th century. To have got the Pope's blessing was a sign of trust and esteem in which Erasmus was held as one of the greatest scholars of the Northern Renaissance. He was known as the Prince of the Humanists, and as he prepared important new Latin and Greek editions of the New Testament, and his writings touched many topics, most famously on free will, on civility in children, and in praise of folly. It is worth clarifying here that unlike modern humanism, Renaissance humanism was not an ideological programme but a body of literary knowledge and linguistic skill based on the revival of ancient philology and grammar, sometimes referred to as a revival of letters. And this earlier form of humanism was driven by many inside the church. This endeavour to look at the Bible with more scrutiny meant taking into account the process of biblical translation which scholars were beginning to understand. It was very complex. The Bible had not just dropped out of the sky, but had been written over hundreds of years by multiple authors. Also, the process of translating the Bible into languages other than those in which it was originally written had been happening over a thousand years. For the reformers, it was necessary to continue this and translate the Bible into common languages in order to reach a wider audience. For the Pope and bishops, this process had to be controlled carefully as it was complex. Thus, it became a power game. Who had the right to translate? Who had the authority to do so? So many of the customs of everyday life were justified by the Bible, and so many people were illiterate and relied on local priests to tell them what to do, that there was a lot at stake. Much of the beautiful stained glass that was in the cathedrals and churches were designed to tell biblical stories to illiterate people. The Old Testament was originally written almost entirely in Hebrew, with a few short elements in Aramaic. This had become the lingua franca at the time, when the Persian Empire controlled the eastern Mediterranean basin, and the Jewish communities of the region had translated into the common language from traditional Hebrew. Some Aramaic fragments had survived, whereas Hebrew ones had been lost. However, By the mid-3rd century BC, a third language, ancient Greek, had become a dominant language, and Jewish scholars 
translated the Hebrew canon into Greek. This was the first attempt at an organised translation, and the legend was that each of the twelve tribes of Israel had con contributed six scholars to the project. This Greek version of the Jewish Bible came to be known later in Latin as the Septuagint, acknowledging the 70 translators. As the early Christian church spread out through the Greek-speaking world, they adopted the Septuagint. In this new emerging culture of the way, many of the books of the Christian Bible, the New Testament, were first written or recorded in Greek and some others in Aramaic. However, the continuing spread of Christianity then led to further translations into Coptic, Ethiopian, Gothic and Latin. With this proliferation of translations, it was crucial that in the year 405, St. Jerome had finished a translation of the whole Bible, which became the authoritative Latin version, the Vulgate. This became the standard of Western Christianity for a thousand years. However, being copied and spread by monks, it was inevitable that errors had been introduced by copyists. The printing press had not yet been invented, everything was done by hand. Erasmus had studied Greek at a Venetian printing house and he began a philological analysis of the Gospels, comparing the Greek originals with their Latin translations. He hoped to correct errors and he began issuing new translations, unintentionally laying the groundwork for the Protestant Reformation. It was a time of great turmoil. And although Erasmus was critical of the abuses within the Catholic Church, he chose to remain within it and called for reform. He kept his distance from Luther, Henry VIII and Cal John Calvin and continued to recognise the authority of the Pope. Rejecting Luther's emphasis on faith alone, he argued for a middle way, and thus he disappointed and even angered both sides. Today's publication of his critical edition of the Greek New Testament had been rushed out to beat a similar effort by that of a Spanish team led by Cardinal Cisneros. Cisneros's more ambitious project had put together a team of translators to create the compilation of the, Bi uh, compilation of the Bible in four languages, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic and Latin. This team had already completed and printed the full New Testament including the Greek translation, two years previously. Cisneros had been in touch with Erasmus to let him know about his work. However, the Spanish team wanted the entire Bible to be released as one single work. This led to Erasmus requesting a publication privilege for his Greek New Testament to ensure that this would be published first. He received this both from Pope Leo X, to whom he would dedicate his work, and Emperor Maximilian. The more ambitious Complutensian Polyglot Bible was published six years later, with only 15 errors in the entire six volumes and four languages of Cisneros' Bible.
an extraordinary low number of errors for the time. Erasmus, grabbing the opportunity offered to him by the Spanish delay, admitted that his work, which was just a New Testament, was rushed into print rather than edited. And the result, although impressive, included a large number of translation mistakes, transcription errors and typos that required further additions to be printed. Luther, Tyndale and other Protestants based their vernacular versions on his translations and they hailed Erasmus's calls for reform. The Reformation began the year following the publication of his edition of the Greek New Testament and this tested Erasmus's character. At the height of his fame, but still a disciplined scholar, he was inevitably called upon to take sides. But partisanship was foreign to his nature and his habits. And despite all his criticism of clerical corruption and abuses within the Catholic Church, and the fact that he supported lay access to the Bible, he shunned the Reformation along with its most radical offshoots, and sided with neither party. Attacks soon came from both sides in a bitterly divided age. In a letter to Nicholas von Amsdorf, Luther objected to Erasmus's catechism, and in his typical intemperate language he called Erasmus a viper, liar, and the very mouth and organ of Satan. On the other side, Erasmus was accused by monks to have prepared the way for Martin Luther. Erasmus, they said, had laid the egg and Luther had hatched it. Erasmus couldn't effectively defend himself from either side, as he wrote in Greek and Latin the language of scholars to an elite and small audience. His rebuttal to the monks, claiming that Luther had hatched a different bird entirely, was missed by most in the frenetic atmosphere of the time. Thank God they didn't have social media in the 16th century. That's all from the Pearl of Great Price today. If you'd like to know any more about Erasmus or anything in today's podcast, email the show on pogppod at gmail.com or visit our website at pogp.net. Have a lovely day wherever you are and thanks for listening.